0: Hi, everyone. I'm Erin G, and this is Alt Text. This week, I'm joined by author Marissa Meltzer to talk about her latest book, Glossy, the inside story of Emily Weiss's Glossier. In addition to Glossy, Meltzer has written several other books, primarily on issues related to millennial women, including How Sassy Changed My Life, Girl Power, The 90s Revolution in Music, and This is Big. In addition, Meltzer is also a writer for several other outlets, which include The New York Times, The New Yorker, and Vogue. I wanted to talk to Marissa about her book, which I could not put down, to discuss what Glossier meant as a cultural touchpoint, how the idea of the girl boss has impacted society, and the ways in which Glossier was and was not run like a tech company, and much more. So here's my conversation with Marissa Meltzer. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to do this. I'm looking forward to our conversation. I really enjoyed the book. Um, So I guess just for those who... Don't know I'd love to kind of just start with kind of a, a what is the book about and how did you come to write it?
1: Yeah so the book is about Glossier which is kind of the millennial beauty brand that also is kind of um, reflective of like all the D to C brand moments and its leader Emily Weiss is this super charismatic woman founded the company when she was you know very young in her 20s and led it to a billion dollar valuation and you know she's kind of the ultimate girl boss and I saw it as a portrait of um, an enigmatic person, a company that you know was really significant and pioneering and a moment moment in time that even though, it's very recent history. It still feels like something that has passed us.
0: Yeah. And I th- I think what's really interesting is that Emily always viewed Glossier as a tech company and did something that, so I, as a freelance writer in tech, um, I had mentioned back in when they received the $1.8 billion valuation back in yeah. 2021, that they were, that they were valued that much and a friend of mine was like wait they're doing like they're raising money they're treating themselves like a startup I was like yeah like of course classic like male responses to like what startups are very specific things um but you had given an interview recently I think with maybe like the cut or vulture and you mentioned that Emily's view of Glossier as more of a tech company came from this kind of like internal misogyny that she has. And and like, I'm curious as to what you mean by that and what you think Emily's view on that might be.
1: I think that she is a woman with great ambition. And so part of that is like just founding a really popular beauty brand wasn't enough. I think she wanted to be something more. She wanted to be, she said all the time, like a Nike or an Apple, where they were glossy. is a lifestyle brand, but it, you know, lives and begins in the beauty space. And, you know, she was also fundraising money in a traditional startup sense, getting, you know, money from um, major venture capital funds including like Sephora and <laughs> Sequoia and Forerunner I almost call them like a version of like Sephora yeah Saw <laughs> <laughs> all my recording slips happening but yeah and um, you know they were growing really fast and they also did try to develop an app and they did try to have their own kind of like point of sale platforms that they were sort of justifying the tech part on, but none of that really happened. And it all from my reporting was so sort of shambolic that it makes me feel like the tech part was always an afterthought when it came to kind of the practicality of building something. And really it was wanting to be seen as something more than just a beauty company, which to me signifies, you know, a kind of inherent um, internalized misogyny that, you know, starting a game changing beauty company was maybe too female coded or wasn't enough, or wasn't something that might be um, as impressive to like, you know, um, venture capitalists or fellow executives. I don't know if, um Emily Weiss would agree with that but I will say that she is no longer the CEO she stepped down um over a year ago and the new CEO Kyle Leahy part of her kind of rebranding of the company has been that Glossier oh we know we're a beauty company now like we kind of know who we are they're no longer trying to sort of Um, have this kind of like sky is the limit rocket ship like what if we made Glossier Bra? What if we had Glossier branded condominiums? You know like I think in order to seem um, more prudent which is sort of more of this moment it's like we know who we are we're staying in our lane we're growing in a way that makes sense.
0: Yeah and I think that given that some of the early products had received some criticism of maybe not being as revolutionary as maybe Emily and Gloss, the Glossier C-Suite may have wanted them to be, that like maybe that focusing more directly on the product will kind of really cement them as a kind of mid-tier makeup company or cosmetics or um, skincare company in this kind of world where you know, on TikTok, you've got makeup TikTok, which is like, you've got the really high-end stuff, you've got the drugstore brands, and so kind of cementing themselves in that sort of narrative.
1: Yeah, I agree, although I would say that a lot of the success of beauty industry and beauty products is not always about having, like, the most innovative project products. So much of shopping, especially for beauty, I'm sure you can relate, is, like, about aspiration, and fantasy, and kind of, you know, seeing something go viral on TikTok and having people talk about it and being like, I need to try this brow product. And also, beauty products are relatively cheap for the most part. So it's easy to be like, oh, it's a $16, you know, brow pomade. Sure, why not? Um, but I think you're right and that, you know, they do need to show that, Um, their focus is on the product rather than sort of this like shallow, but wide kind of sky's the limit. We're experimenting with everything kind of growth. And now, you know, they're in Sephora. They are, they launched, you know, a large line of like foundations for the first time. They're sort of trying to be a little bit more traditional. And I guess my fear is that they're going to overcorrect and kind of seem like so many other companies? When I think what really made their customers love them was this idea of kind of the magic and being delighted and like, what kind of weird product are you going to come up with next? Or what kind of beautiful packaging? Or you know, what kind of um, new way of looking at something um, are you going to help me with? And that's hard to that's hard to sort of you know cook up, but they were really good at it for a few mm-hmm. years.
0: Yeah, especially this idea of no makeup, makeup kind of the perfect thing to throw into your gym bag is what I would kind of refer to it as. Absolutely, yeah. Especially with the little it on.
1: Yo, yes, yes. I mean, uh, how I I would show you just a few feet away from where I'm sitting is like. My extremely inefficient organizing method, which is like 10 glossier pink bubble wrap pouches with things stuffed inside with like writing on it that's like batteries, foreign (laughs) currency, like plugs, you know. But so many people are like that. I constantly see people, usually women, at airports, and they're also putting glossier pouches through like the security. Um, and x-ray machines because Glossier was brilliant that way they knew that you could like see each other you could identify each other and who doesn't love like a cute free thing with their order especially because what Glossier was asking was to order for the most part beauty products and makeup sight unseen which is kind of wild like buying you know beauty is so high touch like you want to see the even if the products are sheer and supposed to sort of look good on anyone you still want to see whether it makes you look kind of jaundiced or something that look yeah. like the wrong shade of lipstick or um, you know or matching a certain tone for foundation which is you know really where they've gotten in trouble in mm-hmm. um, their launch was like sort of overestimating the sort of sheerness and like these shades can look good on everybody and anyone who wasn't sort of a light skinned person was like actually no like you're clearly not making makeup with me in mind because this isn't working on my skin so you know they were it's it's hard to be a D to see beauty brand and it sort of shows how wild that moment was when um the idea of selling beauty to you without being able to touch it or feel it or try it out, seeing perfectly reasonable.
0: Yeah, I mean, I kind of do the same thing though. Like if I see something on TikTok, I'm like, oh, like it's $5, I'll just go pick it up. Like it's just so, I mean, I guess it's less yeah, so when you're in your twenties, like it's you're like a little bit more mindful of where you're spending, but as you get yeah.
1: older. See, I don't know. I actually think for me, it's a little bit the opposite where when I was younger, they were like easy impulse buys and I wasn't able to buy something like shoes or something as an impulse. And also now that I get older, I still like to experiment, but I'm a little more set in my ways of like, you know, I know that I love this Gucci Westman like foundation stick and I really don't feel the need to try one. Even if everyone online is saying how fabulous it is or something like that. I don't know. I, I, but I might be aging out of the demographic. I mean, part of what was um, brilliant is Glossier kind of had this like millennial sweet spot. I often think of it as people who have aged out of proactive, the like acne line Mm -hmm. that was so popular with teenagers. And before they're maybe in their like mid thirties and starting to want to spend real money on like, you know, I don't know, a vitamin C serum or something to like prevent pigmentation or wrinkles or something glossier was for maybe those 20 years or something in between when you just needed some great solid products that weren't going to break the bank
0: right and now there's kind of like an oversaturation in that sort of market
1: for sure although anytime someone talks about some hard to come by like um korean sunscreen that i have to order from a site that seems really complicated i'm like oh i'm in i want to try this yeah (laughs) i'm always trying to find a sunscreen that will save my life absolutely
0: got to protect yourself
1: yeah for sure i have a million sunscreens i like but you know do you tell me about the latest like beauty of Sun launch and (laughs) i will i will try to find it (laughs) in terms of
0: you know thinking about Glossier trying to pivot into more of a wellness lifestyle brand I think a lot about the what Sporty and Rich and Emily Oberg are trying to do right mm-hmm. I mean they're not obviously one's like um garments one's beauty mm-hmm. but Emily's trying Emily Oberg oh man uh,
1: yeah <laughs> Which beautiful woman, yeah, yeah. Which beautiful girl yeah. boss are we talking about? Uh, tough. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: Emily Oberg's really like been very deliberate in how she is, or it uh-huh. seems that she's very deliberate in how she's expanding, um, doing a little pop-ups uh, in okay. their stores and then collaborations on the website. And I do mm-hmm. wonder if, if Emily Weiss had been a little bit more strategic in how she kind of wanted to achieve that larger brand um, that maybe she might have been more successful?
1: Maybe. I think that there, well, I would say one thing is that Glossy did do the same kind of thing of like slowly launching pop-ups, you know, that had like one or two flagships in LA and New York, but mostly it was pop-ups around the country, which is, not dissimilar from sporty and rich, but I see the main difference as just taking money. Glossier took a ton of funding. And with that comes the, um, pressure to not even pressure. You really don't have a choice when, you know, your venture capital companies are expecting a return. So you have to scale the company quickly. I mean, the speed at which they went from like five person to 25 people to a hundred to like, 300 employees is you know very very fast like within just Mm -hmm. a handful of years um and i i would have to check but i don't believe that Sporting rich i feel like she claims to have no funding right yeah
0: she says that she's all self-funded
1: yeah so they're you know and also claims to have To come from a family without money so she appears to be bootstrapping it and you know growing at a really deliberate pace which is pretty much the opposite of what Emily did with Glossier so I I think that's the key difference really is the kind of pressure that comes with the um, speed at which you are growing and the you know money you take and the way that you go about it.
0: Yeah I hadn't realized that Glossier got to series E and like, you very rarely hear about startups that go further than series D really. Yeah.
1: Well, I think that my guess is that they wanted to IPO and then the pandemic happened and, you know, they had gotten their billion dollar valuation in early or maybe mid 2019 and, you know, they were all on top of the world, I think, hoping to IPO. And then, you know, the pandemic came crashing down and um, they had to sort of reckon with the fact that like their stores would be closed. Maybe, you know, they would have to lay off those retail employees and it kind of reset everything. And they dealt, were dealt with so many other challenges. And so I think they had to go more, I guess, although you know one review i read of my book that seems smart is like plenty of people within the company you know in maybe 2018 were kind of thinking you know some of this doesn't add up like why are we spending so much money on spin off lines why are we putting all this money into tech recruiting and you know a tech product and if those people you know could see that maybe money wasn't being allocated in a way that totally made sense What about the people who are supposed to be doing diligence, doing due diligence on like a series E? I mean, they still got more funding in 2021 and that's when they got their $1.8 billion valuation. And so, you know, I just wonder about sort of the, if it's, if it's like a cautionary tale of being swept up in kind of the tides of a company and the, you know, how kind of Popular and sexy, it is. I I think their only real option now is to make themselves look as, you know, sort of get themselves in shiny and good shape for an acquisition. Mm -hmm. But I also think part of why Emily had to step down is that there was a time when beauty companies were getting acquired for just, you know, literally like billions of dollars. um, And those days are really over. Um, unless you're a company like Aesop that's like, you know, really sort of has different value adds than a company like Glossier, like is huge in Asia and is huge with men and it's huge in body products. So all these things are considered like pretty hard to break into market-wise. Glossier doesn't have that. So I think, you know, they missed out on, I don't know if IPO is ever going to be the right option, but they missed out on time and that probably could have happened. They missed out on time when acquisitions could have, you know, netted them a lot of money. So they're in a pretty tough position because they can't, they never were going to be sporty and rich. And they're, you know, they can't just say, well, give us time to kind of grow at our own pace. Like, you know, that was decided on a long time ago. So they're, it's, it's a, you know, they're in a complicated time right now. Mm -hmm. One of the things I think think about- what do you think they should do or what do you think their their exit could be?
0: I mean, you know, given all the things that happened during the pandemic with like SPACs, that's not even really an option now. You know, the SPAC market is so bad. Okay. Um, given that Kyle is like really refocusing the brand, I think that's yeah. probably strategic to really make the company attractive
1: to so like an Estee Lauder or something like that, yeah. that like we can be your youth-oriented Yeah. Exactly. brand. Yeah, I agree. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so I mean, we'll see. I, d- I don't think, like you said, IP- an IPO is on the table for them, but uh, honestly, who knows these days?
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just did a big profile that came out a few days ago of Gwyneth Paltrow for the Goop. Mm-hmm. Fifteenth anniversary and you know she talked you know pretty openly about exit strategies and it seems like she wants to IPO and her investors do so you know yeah time will tell we'll see what we'll see what happens with all of that
0: yeah yeah and then so one of the things I, I think about a lot is our parasocial relationship with these figures whether they're celebrities um startup founders people online and i i mean things have really gotten out of hand in my view (laughs) um and so i wonder you know the book talks a lot about how the employees of glossier didn't feel that the company or emily were really kind of living up to their values that they their stated values and so i wonder like how important it is to or whether there's value in having the values of the CEO and the values of the company be the same or does it matter because I think about you know like again Emily Oberg has had some issues online about being cancelled and so Mm
1: -hmm. should
0: they be the same or should we and like what sort of standard do we hold these CEOs to in terms of the company's values
1: I mean, it's kind of a lose-lose situation in some ways, because we're living through a time when culturally we do want our leaders to have values and we want the CEOs and the companies to have like defined values that they too represent and that don't conflict with our own. But then we're also obsessed with people like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk who, you know, act in ways that, like, a woman leader never could. And, you know, who basically, like, are, you know, some of the richest and most powerful people in the world, but also, like, extreme tabloid fodder. And so, in some ways, the way they're covered is kind of almost, like, female-coded. Like, they are covered the way that, like, a female celebrity or, like, a woman founder might be. It's it's actually really interesting to me. But you know i don't think that someone like you know emily or anyone at glossier necessarily wants to follow in their direction besides maybe the part where you know they are wildly successful and wealthy maybe mm-hmm. but i think that customers do seem like they want it but they also seem pretty um uh, ambivalent or like they're acting two ways at once. Like, for example, Glossier has recently reformulated a few of their products. So, the entire line, I believe, is vegan. They took out like beeswax and lanolin from most significantly the bomb.com, which was one of the, which was literally in the first four products they made and was kind of like, you know, an an overall Vaseline like you know lips whatever product and there were tinted and scented versions and it was always one of their best sellers people loved it people hate and I mean hate like the reviews of the reformulated version that I think debuted earlier this year are I mean the amount of vitriol is (laughs) wild oh wow people are not and I have to say I agree the new version is awful it tastes weird it has none of that kind of like you know sits on your lips like moisturizes you in the dead of winter like you could put on a cut like it's watery. I don't know. I'm not happy with it at all. And um, yeah, people are really angry in the reviews. So it's like, on the one hand, there must be a certain amount of their customer base, you know, that doesn't want animal products and their beauty product and doesn't want like a green and Sephora label on things mm-hmm. that they're buying. But then at the same time, they're furious when, you know, their favorite product has changed and doesn't work for them as well as it used to. So it creates a, you know, a pretty uh, inhospitable situation for companies, you know, where it's like a little bit damned if you do, damned if you don't. I, I, don't, I don't envy them having to navigate the cultural waters these days because on the one hand, you know, it was a little bit easier when you were just a business and it was just about capitalism and making Mm -hmm. money. And like, if you wanted values, you could go, you know, volunteer at a nonprofit or something like that. And now we live in this era of, you know, companies that have become wildly successful based on, you know, what they stand for, like Patagonia and Ben and Jerry's and stuff. But also at the same time, not everyone has to be, you know, what we in America call B Corp, you know, like a, a corporation that also, you know, has a certain amount of like charitable aspect and giving back and all of that. So, um, yeah, I don't envy them, but I see someone like Emily Oberg um, having an easier time of it because... She's coming up in a time that even just, you know, a few years after Glossier launched, you can learn from a lot of their challenges and mistakes. And again, she's growing in a way that's much um, slower. So it's, you know, when you're growing in a way that Glossier was, it's like decisions have already been made and you're hiring people out to, you know, start um, opening, say, uh, stores around the country and the world when you barely even have an HR department you know Emily Weiss was fond of saying she hated the the phrase human resources and you know they had all those sorts of ridiculous um, names for HR that was like head of people culture or whatever mm-hmm. and it's like But that also just means that you're not really thinking that much about, you know, the kind of environment for employees and all of those things. So, you know, it's easy also when you are a leader who is kind of creative first and is an entrepreneur and a founder first to think about things like, you know, HR um, as being kind of an afterthought or just not as much fun to put your thought into as, you know, product development, for example, but that is where a lot of people end up um, getting pie in the face, I would say.
0: Yeah. Every, every startup founder wants to call their HR department people and culture. And like, uh, guys, I you
1: know, just sometimes it's a classic for a reason. Like you're not tricking anyone. No, <laughs> That like... person is still briefing you on like, you know, relationships and insurance plans and vacation packages and all of that. Like,
0: yeah, we're not remaking the wheel here.
1: <laughs> no, no. And in fact, it is, you know, there were certain things where Emily did want to remake the wheel all mm-hmm. the time. And in some ways, that's why she's brilliant. You know, that's what uh that kind of entrepreneur founder needs is that desire to like change things and make their version of it. But like you don't need to remake the wheel when it comes to something like HR. And they didn't need to remake the wheel when it came to like point of sale. Like they finally, after years of having like a not very good point of sale system that they made themselves and spent a lot of money designing and running, just went to what they could have done all along and now uses Shopify. Mm-hmm. Proud Canadian brand, right?
0: Yep. Yes.
1: yep.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <That> <laughs> yeah. Located right here.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah just do what you could have done for nothing all along and you Shopify, which works great and which is what they're doing now. And so it's like this idea to like customize and put your own little like Anna Wintour Vogue style, like personal sign off on every little part of the company. Um, it's probably to your detriment as a leader.
0: So what I find really interesting about the timing of the release of your book is that it's kind of in this moment of,
1: the rise
0: of girl culture,
1: mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm.
0: especially in this moment where we are right now with Taylor Swift and the NFL and all of the men getting upset mm-hmm. about Taylor Swift taking over football, <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, how or why is this story important to tell now and how, and does it kind of connect into kind of the, the rise that we're seeing of girl culture in the broader sense?
1: I've thought about this a lot. I do think it's important to tell because there are not a lot of books about, you know, recent companies, and there's not a lot of books about female founders. And there's not a lot of books about even just things like beauty. And so you end up with books that are about someone like Helena Rubinstein who was a beauty founder for like a century you know ago for a book about like um, a Cheryl Sandberg lean in book that kind of skews a little bit more self-help or how to or a book like um, Bad Blood that's about you know uh, sort of a once in a generation criminal you know scam kind of thing and You get all, you know, and that this book to me was a chance to have a story that was really nuanced and about an industry that really wasn't written about on a very high level very often, and a young woman in something that feels culturally important right now. And at the same time, you know, it has become a bestseller, and I think part of that is because there is a desire for women to like have something of their own to celebrate things that are marketed towards them. Like, I do think part of why it's popular is it has like a fun, beautiful paint cover and is written like a pastry thriller, you know which was very much, um, you know, by choice and feels gossipy even though it's also really smart. And, you know, that was kind of part of the success of Barbie which, you know, came out and was a hit long after, you know, I was like working on writing this book, but I feel like there's a similar thing where it's like things can be made towards women or at least, you know, towards like, um, you know, not towards straight men and be successful and feel fun and also feel smart. And that, you know, the way that you project something that's sort of deep and important doesn't have to be like, um, Oppenheimer or like, you know, the Elon Musk book where, you know, like a close up of a serious looking man, um, you know, grappling with, you know, his heroic journey or something like that. And so, yeah, I definitely think that's part of the success and part of why um, it's really found an obvious.
0: And it's just funny because women startups women founded startups are just so underfunded like you point out in the book but the roi on those investments for vcs is generally so much higher because women are really finding a niche and an audience so like we know that this is a gap and so we're going to try to fill the gap whereas with male founded companies it's kind of all over the map and so like yeah of course this is going to do well because like you said this was a like a zeitgeist millennial brand people are interested they read into the gloss. they've used the products and so yeah it's kind of just found that kind of perfect niche
1: yeah although everything with books is like you know books about the internet don't always necessarily do well and like there's a certain kind of book that does really well that's about like world war ii Because the age and demographic of, you know, those sorts of audiences do buy books. And so there's this gamble that, you know, I think that, you know, book publishers, but probably also like VCs have, it's like, yes, that market is very much there and engaged and exists. But like, are they going to buy books? Or like, are they going to buy your product? You know, are these people going to care more than just sort of passively reading about it? you know, online or TikTok reviews or whatever. And, you know, but I think it's true that like the ROI for a woman led business is different because there's just so the barrier to like being the kind of woman that's like, I'm coming here with my idea to present it to you. Like, I just feel like in general, you're going to get way more men that are like, have a lot of bluster and half-assed ideas. They're reinventing HR. (laughs) Yeah. Like there are just not as many women like that. And in fact, the stories of Emily in her first rounds of trying to get funding and dealing with, you know, VC bros in like Sand Hill road in Northern California are just really sad. And also so typical. I mean, Mm -hmm. every woman who's had to deal, have the same depressing stories of people saying, you know, like looking at her moisturizer and being like, oh, I'll have my admin try it or my wife or my daughter. And it's like, bro, this is sunscreen. Like, (laughs) like you can truly use it on yourself, like beyond the fact that we are post gender for like all products, but like, Mm -hmm. you know, just this idea that like, oh, it's so hard for me to even begin to understand a product that's like not squarely marketed to me. It's just so deeply offensive and something that is still so flawed with the way that we, you know, give out money and funding and who and what matters. It's it's a system that's still pretty broken.
0: I mean, yeah, I can just picture these men in these rooms being like, what do you mean it doesn't smell like the woods?
1: Yeah. Pine. (laughs) Musk, yeah. (laughs) Uh, You're calling your cleanser milky jelly? Like, what does that mean? And it's like, well, it kind of looks milky and like jelly at the same time, and it smells like roses. And it's like, why?
0: It's yeah, it's very literal.
1: Yeah, totally. Like, I don't get it,
0: Marissa. That's all I have for you today, but thank you so much
1: for chatting. It was my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me,
0: and I, I'm looking forward to your next book. <laughs>
1: It's on Jane Birkin. I'm going Ooh. to I'm going to France in a couple of months to start researching. So nice, exciting.
0: nice. I'm looking forward to re- uh, reading some of your other work
1: too. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Well, have a great day in the land of Shopify. <laughs> Thanks. I'll try. <laughs> in Shopify's Canada. <laughs>
0: yeah, totally. Literally, just down the street. <laughs> Excellent.
1: Give them, give them my best. I certainly spent a lot of money with them.
0: Yes, <laughs> don't we all?
1: Take care. Bye.
0: Bye. Well, that does it for this week. Huge thanks to Marissa for speaking with me. I hope you go pick up her book wherever books are sold. And I will be back next week. And in the meantime, you can find me on social media.